So, so good. This morning, I want to bring out just three simple things from the, uh, from the readings that we've already heard this morning. And uh, to do that, I've got three bits of paper that are just going to help the kids engage a little bit. Hey, kids, do you want to help me out this morning a little bit? What I've got here, when we, uh, when we built our church, building a beautiful community, we've got this beautiful little thing. Um, our first three points that we've got through, that we want to get through today is that we need to trust God at work, that we need to live with humility and brokenness of spirit. And then the third thing that I want us to, to pull into and, and catch this morning is that we need to follow the example of Christ. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to put each of these up and then when it's time I'm going, to, I'm going to call the kids and say, hey kids, do you want to help us pull the thread of the gospel through our, um, through our backdrop today? So I'm just going to put these up here and when it's time we'll, uh, we'll pull the kids through and they can help pull that red ribbon of the gospel through our, uh, our good and beautiful framework that we've got there. Um, our readings today, they show the disciple Peter in a different setting and in different ways, slowly coming to terms with the events that were happening around him um, in, only, in what can only be described as a slow maturing that happens as we sort of engage our faith muscles. Peter has to work out what is his to own and to worry about and what is actually the path and plan of God. Peter, through this passion narrative, learns what it is to trust God, what it is to lead, be led into true discipleship or apprenticeship to Jesus. This narrative we read, it happened 2,000 or so years ago, and, and it's really easy to disconnect what that looks like from 2,000 years ago to today. So I want to actually give you an example of what I've seen happen uh, in the past month or so that actually might be something similar. So... Um, a month ago, I received a phone call from a concerned Christian who was from a nearby town, and they proclaimed to me over the phone the folly of deep sin that they saw here in Margaret River, and that they were going to come to town and protest about that thing and speak against that thing that they saw as a grave sin against God. Um, they asked me for my help, uh, to which I declined, um, and I said, and I prayed for them to seek God's discernment moving forward. I prayed for them. Now, I don't want to get into the details of that, but I'm sorry to say that as they did that, as they stood up against what they saw as deep sin um, that was here, it didn't end well. Um, it didn't end well for that individual Christian. Neither did it make any headway in my mind against the deep sin that they were looking to speak out against in our town they found themselves in a position not too dissimilar to Peter. Peter's standing there, he's seeing his Lord and Saviour about to be arrested and Peter acts with his sword. And so the same with this person. As I was praying about it, what I saw, saw in that phone call from that well-meaning Christian was a lack of trust in God's overarching plan for the world. You can see Peter making a stand, and it's good. But at the same time, he's completely getting in the way of what God wants to do or God was trying to do. And so what I want us to get home at here and today is that God is at work. God is at work. He has been at work, will continue to work, 
not only in our town, but in our state, in our country and in our planet. And he's calling us to actually be a part of that plan to trust him, but not in Peter's way described here, but in a very unique way, a way that calls for humility, a way that calls for uh, imitation. So this is especially poignant for us as we approach Easter. Our passage today sets this scene of the passion narrative, uh, the moments before the crucifixion. Uh, If you want to open up your Bibles, we're in Matthew 26 today. the, The reading that we had from our lectionary. If you need a Bible, please stick your hand. I'm sure somebody will grab one from the front for you. Um, I won't be reading back through it, I'll just be pointing out verses, so uh, better if you track with us in that way. Um, As we look into Matthew 26, we see Peter with all sorts of emotions racing uh, from what he's heard and seen in the lead up to this point. Uh, We know that there's going to be a betrayer in verse 21. Uh, We see uh, after the revelation, after that revelation, that Peter wants to make the promise, I'm never going to be like that guy. I'm going to stand with you till the end, in verse 33. Um, And then Jesus speaks a prophetic word about Peter's own self-righteousness, his own downfall, in verse 34. And though there's more, you know, in the garden, we see this culmination of Peter's failure and Peter's inability to trust in the plan where he utilises his sword against a servant in verse 51. As Peter seemed to try and fail at just trusting, I've recognised this week, so do we sometimes, and in that phone call, so do we. But at the same time, as we read this story, we need to give Peter a lot of grace because his world was falling apart. His mentor, his friend, his God was arrested, um, you know, just after an ordinary dinner. God was in control, and then all of a sudden, bleh. For Peter to trust that God was at work here in this moment, in that garden, that's a huge ask. And yet Isaiah 55 reminds us that God's ways are higher than our ways and God's thoughts are higher than our thoughts. And so God is still at work and we need to continue to trust that God is at work even when it doesn't seem like it. Now, are there any kids in here that want to help us pull us through that ribbon? Through? Yeah, yeah, come on up. Yeah, coming up. Just pull the ribbon through to our first page for us, guys. We got the uh, the teenagers in the house wanting to have a bit of a bit of fun here. And it's no difference for us here, two thousand years later, in the memorial of this event of Easter. Yeah, pull the black cord all the way through to that for us. Yeah, maybe just pull from the centre. Lorena, you're going to help have to help feed the red. I think. Here we go. Let's see what happens. Help with this in. Help with this in. This is going to be awesome. So anyway, we need to trust that God's at work, right? And there it is. Beautiful. Thank you. Hold there. We'll get you up in a bit to do the next bit. All right. We need to trust that God is at work even when it doesn't seem like it. Because in him we live and we move and we have our being. God is at work. This example I shared out of the Christian Christian ringing me up from the nearby town, it reaffirmed for me the idea of trusting in God's overarching plan and his action. God is at work. I need to trust that Christ has his workers in the nearby towns 
and that those Christians in the other towns also need to trust us that we're doing our work here, joining in as appropriate with the kingdom of God uh, on earth as it is in heaven. And we see that God is at work, and not just, you know, God is working here and in my life, I see that, but actually we see it through our scriptures. We see this grand narrative of God at work. And I want to reaffirm that for us as we come into Easter. I want us to come back to trusting in what is that overarching plan of God. And it's actually given to us in our scriptures. We see God moving from the genesis of humanity. We see the narratives where God gives human dignity, humans dignity and agency in the world, uh, where it includes allowing for the human fallenness and getting things wrong. And he gave it the name of sin. You know, this is God at work, allowing us to have this agency, allowing us to have this dignity. It shows God at work through the process of engaging with humanity where he introduces law and order, particularly where it's shown to be lacking in the face of true evil. This is the introduction of the covenant. This is God at work. This grand narrative, it shows the need for a future saviour for our deficiencies and the need for that saviour to go beyond our humanness and our sin to show us a path for wholeness. Our scriptures in this narrative, they also show us the inability of ourselves, our humanness, to walk that straight path. And so the only way to redeem humanity was to make a statement so bold that it would echo through time. And this is God at work. And in doing this, it allowed this veil of sin, as I've put up for us, this veil that stops us from being able to reach to God. As the sacrifice is made, as the grand gesture is made towards humanity, it allows for this veil to be removed forever. Should we seek after God? And this is God at work. It speaks of a future tied up with God in the eternal light and the future victory over all that is wrong with this world. And this is God at work. And so we need to trust that God is at work. We need to reaffirm this grand narrative that it's not just for here in this moment, but it's actually from the beginning of time all the way to the culmination. And so the question for us today is how much do we trust God for his overarching plan? When we see governments or societies lean to the left or lean towards the right, when we get phone calls outraged that something might be mocking God, can we trust that God is still active and moving? As a humanity, we've been asking these questions since time immemorial. Psalm 51, can I trust you, God, from King David? My sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart that you, God, will not despise. This is what it looked like for David to trust God. He goes, God, I don't know if you're there. I don't know how to do this, God, but what I'm going to give to you is a broken spirit and a contrite heart. If you want to push forward in time, that was what? Uh, Mid-1000 BC, somewhere around that. If we push all the way forward to just in the 1940s during, uh, during the Second World War. Uh, we can also find a German theologian named Bonhoeffer. He had to ask these same questions. Um, if we come back to here in Australia, if 
we look at here in Margaret River, we've got a 70% not believing rate, don't believe in Christ, non-Christian rate here in Margaret River according to the Bureau of Statistics. You know, one might be tempted to ask, is God at work here in Margaret River? It's funny because it's like this is nowhere near as appalling as what Bonhoeffer lived through, and yet we still find ourselves asking these questions. Um, for Bonhoeffer, he was uh, arrested by the Gestapo in 1943, and he found that the Christian culture around him had simply become a sociology and an ineffective cultural faith. And he asked the question, how do you remain truly Christian in this space where actually everybody around you doesn't seem to be trusting or doesn't seem to be engaging in faith? And so he had to do some theology around this area of how God could be at work, even when every instance around him told him, hang on a second, this world is messy and it's not in God's plan. Given all of that, Bonhoeffer writes this. He writes that the crucified Christ provides us with a model of God that is appropriate to our modern world. Let me say that again. The crucified Christ provides us with a model of God appropriate for the modern world. He continues, a God who allows himself to be pushed out of the world and on a cross. And this is the the crux of Easter. This is the crux of how it is that we are meant to be in and trusting God also. That this is actually part of the plan. God is a work. And if God then desires our trust, then this means living with humility and living with a brokenness of spirit and imitating Christ's example. If we jump back into our text, I want us to take uh, I want to take us to where the disciples and Jesus were in the garden in chapter 27, around verse 50, where Jesus is arrested and is betrayed by Judas. And this is where we see Bonhoeffer begin his theology. We see that Christ would allow himself to be taken by the world in order to save it. In perhaps the worst moment for Jesus' disciples, we see them react in the opposite way than trust. And this is made even worse by the fact that they should be trusting because they've been told the entire plan in the earlier verses. If you have a look back in 21, we see that the Son of Man will be betrayed if they get told that. In verse 26, uh, chapter 26, 21, we see that he'll die and be raised again. Uh, in 31 and 32, we see... Um, that they're looking with human eyes instead of trusting, and this gives way to self-righteousness. And as a final culmination, we see Peter taking out his sword and cutting off the priest's uh, servant's ears in uh, 26.51. This is a reaffirmation for me that Christ is a non-materialistic, is that a word? Materialistic? And pacifist agent in the world that he has no flag to wave, that he belongs to a different kingdom, that any time that we pick up the name of Jesus and we use it as a weapon against another human, then we've actually missed the point of why he's come. We failed at trusting God and trying to find that other way. And society will want to make us pick sides, uh, black and white, left or right, 
um, even more in this internet era, uh, where we see text without emotion or subtlety. And we see it in this moment in the garden where we see Peter standing there, forgetting the power that he's seen in the past few years, forgetting what that Jesus could call down legions of angels if it was the right path. But this is not the way of Christ. The way of Christ is to love. It is to embrace the greyness of humanity, to find the Jesus path even when it doesn't make sense. The person on my phone call, they wanted to take on the world like Peter did, uh, but it was fear that was the driver. It wasn't love. And I have a lot of sympathy for that person on the phone call. I have a lot of sympathy for Peter in this text here. And I have a sympathy for the fear that they would have and the fear they had for Jesus and the plans that they thought were going to be enacted for the world. But this is the thing. Okay, let's come back to it. God desires our trust, and this means living with humility. It means living with a brokenness of spirit. It means following the example of Christ and actually laying down. Um, does anybody want to help us pull the, uh, the cord through to the next couple? Come on, you've done a good job. Come on, pull it up. Let's get on with the last two points. I want to move into more of a practical sort of space. I don't have much left to speak on. but So what does this actually look like? What is humility? Uh, does anybody have a, a definition for humility they want to throw at us? Call it out, come on. Anybody got a definition of what being humble is? That other people's lives are more important than our own lives? Your ego is able to be broken down to be able to reassess itself. Yeah, good. Yeah, that's good. Oh, keep going all the way. All the way through. Renouncing pride. I love it. Yep. Let's have one more. Anybody else? From the back, I see that hand. <laughs> no? Okay. Um, I love the idea of ego, uh, ego, humility and being humble to be, to consider yourself with sober judgment, to go, actually, I am able to do these things, but I'm not thinking more of myself. And it's actually in our... Um, um, our, what's the companion reading in our lectionary in, in Philippians 2, verse 5 to 11, uh, where it says Christ came down, he considered himself, uh, he didn't consider equality with God something to be grasped, he just knew, and so he humbled himself. Um, you know, as I've been speaking, thanks, guys, that's great. That's great, that's how it works. We see the gospel flowing through our community as we speak as we do these things, as we trust, as we live with humility, as we follow the example of Christ. As I speak with people in our community, I hear that lots of us are actually dealing with anxiety, anxious thoughts, or there's stress. You know, I'm stressed about work, I'm stressed about family, or I've got too much to do. I've got too much to do. And as we come to this first point, trusting that God is at work, even in your life, even in your anxiety, even in your busyness of work, even in your busyness of life or in your family, what would actually letting go of these things look like for you? What would handing the reins over to God to be in charge look like in your context? I want to give you just a couple minutes to think, okay, 
what does trusting God look like? Not just, oh yeah, um, I want to deal with a problem that's over in Bunbury because I feel God is calling me to that. Or, hang on, I want to deal with a problem in somebody else's family because that's easier to deal with than the problem that's in my own family. What does trusting God look like for you? And actually not going at it in a militaristic sense. Did I use the word right that time? I'm not going to attack it with a sword, but actually I'm going to humble and I'm going to find, actually I do have my own agency here. I am a person here in this problem. But actually where is it that God would seek me to find the new path, the new laying down, the imitating of Christ in this moment? Um, do you want a couple minutes? I'll give you a minute. Just take a minute. Have a think. Work, family, life. Um, I've said it to a few people for myself over the year. Uh, As I see these problems of anxiety, I see these problems of people being stressed. And for me, um, humility means that I only actually have to interact with the problems that God has given me to deal with here in my sphere of influence. And you've seen, probably some people have seen me do this throughout the year. Have you seen me Hold my hand up. This is my sphere of influence. This is what I can control. This is what God has actually given me to control. In the talent, uh, the parable of the talents, you know, Matthew 25, 14 to 30, he gives some people, he gives a lot of problems to deal with. Some people he only gives a little problem to deal with. Sometimes he gives some people a big family to love and other people he gives a tiny little family. This is your family. This is who you have to love. This is what you're called to. And so humility means that I have to come to terms with what God has given me to control in this moment. I can only control this. I do not need to control what's going on over in Bunbury or in Nanup or in wherever else people might come from. God has only given me this small area here in Margaret River to act in for the joy of living and working for God in behalf of his kingdom. And that means that though there might be problems out there that seem insurmountable, I actually have to trust that God is already at work providing the people for the solution in those places. Just as here, Christ is at work and looking at the things that need solutions for, to bring about the kingdom here and that we can make an impact in. And so the question for you is, as you are trusting God, are you being faithful in what Christ has given you? We need to follow the example of Christ. I want to um, I want to wind down away. We've got some practical stuff here, but I want to wind away from a sort of a teaching space and move towards a a space where we're actually looking at what is it that Christ has actually achieved for us as we look at the cross and as we look at Easter. And so we're going to move towards communion as the end point here. And so it's easy for us to get on our high horse, proclaim we know the answers in a grey world. But actually Jesus is calling us to a place of simple faith, perhaps even putting ourselves into a place of vulnerability, as Christ has put himself into a place of vulnerability. 
And not just once, but over and over again where we put our trust in him afresh. And not only for our salvation, for our personal salvation. Oh, I'm saved, I'm going to heaven. No, no. This is about bringing the whole world to a place of peace and to acknowledgement of the presence of God. All of that Isaianic, Messianic stuff. And so super practically, if we were to meet the need of this community as Christ would have us do, then that would mean that we need to be vulnerable to each other. As God in Christ Jesus was vulnerable in the world. And peace only comes when somebody makes the first move. As we look at communion... We are called to take this super seriously. Uh, This is a check for our hearts. This is a check for our thoughts and our mind. Are we actually following through in our trust? Are we able to be vulnerable? Are we able to give over those things that we say, no, we are right and the other person is wrong? And so if you have something against somebody else today, um, then this is a check for your spirit, your heart. Uh, before you take communion with us. We have to imitate Christ in humility. And we're given this option to act like Peter. Do we take matters into our own hands? Do we proclaim to others that our own right way, this is the better way? Just like Peter did. No, no, this is the way. Jesus, you're not meant to do that. You're meant to do it like this. Are we angry at God? Um, are we angry at somebody else? As I was researching this, one author put uh, put it that our self-righteous action is like this. Uh, They wrote, In proclaiming this judgment against the other person, we fail to recognise that righteousness and justice rest upon the recognition of our common humanity before God. Let me say that again. As we proclaim judgment against our fellow human, we fail to recognise that righteousness and justice rest upon the recognition of our common humanity before God. This is the start of the grand narrative. This is the start of Eden. This is the start where God sets us up with dignity and agency. Our common humanity before God Righteousness and justice rest upon the recognition of our common humanity before God. My sin is the same as your sin. Peter's sin is the same as my sin. We all do it. And because of Christ's action, it is covered by the overarching story of God at work in the world. We'll come back to Philippians 2. Jesus chose to humble and so should we. We need to follow the example of Christ. This grand narrative, we see God setting up humanity with dignity and agency. And then we see the blood of Cain spilled and then mirrored here with the cutting of the servant's ear. This over and over again action, the blood of Cain that was done there, the betrayal of Judas, the cutting of the servant's ear, it is all throughout here. And we need for a saviour to take the step to be in the place of this action.
if we looked at uh, chapter 26, 23, when we get into the upper room, we consider uh, that comment about the one who dips the hand, who dips the bread with me in the wine. They are the one that betrays. And here we are, in fact, taking part in that motion as well. We are all going to dip and we are all going to take. Our hand is in the same bowl as the disciples. And we ask that question, is it me? Am I the one that betrayed? Am I the one that's betrayed Christ in any moment? Where have I not trusted God's provision? Where have I denied the common humanity of man uh, before God? As we come to communion today, you know, we've got to check ourselves in this manner to make sure that we're not passing judgment on others. We need to check ourselves to make sure that we're living with humility. We're approaching God with this broken and contrite spirit. And as we take it today, we check our heart to make sure that we're not acting out of self-righteousness or our own plans for the future of the world. As we take this cup today, we remember Christ's example. For us to follow, we need to trust God for his plans for our life, for Margaret River and beyond. Let me pray for us before we take communion. Lord God, we acknowledge you at work. Lord, we acknowledge that you have a plan that is just so far beyond us, that your ways are higher than our ways. Lord, we want to know and have a glimpse of your plan enough just as you gave the disciples a glimpse. Lord, we trust that you are giving glimpses to know where we are to act. Lord, to know where we are, to limit our control. Lord, to acknowledge the talents that you've given us. Lord, we want to act within those talents and not go beyond it so that we can trust in you for the salvation for the rest of the world. And Lord, all we need to do is worry about ours. Lord, we need to look to you we are so grateful for the sacrifice that you made for us on the cross. Lord, as we come into Easter, Lord, thank you for your sacrifice. Thank you for the path that you laid for us. In Jesus' name, amen.